She wears a nappy because it makes her happy. She's too cool for smooth. Kings and calls are too free spirited to be restrained by herbs and oils. These queens who adorn it as a natural crown of truth. Braids worn in all sorts of twists, shades, a labor of love. What's up, queens? Welcome to another episode of Sisters, where sisters are doing it for themselves indeed. So today's topic is fatherless daughters, and our producers and I have chosen to make this particular episode our first sisters one-hour special. So too many of our queens deal with the abandonment of being a fatherless daughter. One of the most riveting documentaries that I have seen recently on this issue is called Dear Daddy, produced by special guest Jenks Morton, who is an award-winning filmmaker with a unique calling to address social justice issues that impact our community. So sisters, welcome award-winning filmmaker Jenks Morton. Jenks, it's a pleasure having you here with us today, brother. What motivates? So I want to know. I'm going fast, but I really do want to know because I love filmmakers and I love the whole process of what motivates people to do film. So what what would motivate you to get into filmmaking in general? How did you get started? Well, I, ca I came from the music background. I had a record label, acts, all that other good stuff. Left the music business and then um, this, this clip came out. This is probably 2006 from a filmmaker named Tim Alexander. And I can't remember, Diary of a Tired Black Man is the name of the clip. It was three or four minute clip. And it showed this black man, white wife, former black baby mother. I hate that term, but that's what she was. And all of this conflict and it's just drama. And then I'm data driven. So I go and you, I want to see like how many brothers does this actually affect? How many brothers have a black baby mama and then married a white girl and then get into all this? And it was a smidgen. It's less than... It was like less than 5%. And then I started to understand how Hollywood operates and how the castigation of black identity works. They like to take these, I understand it for dramatic purpose, these outlier pieces of who we are, but then they portray it as the mainstream. So you, uh, even though I live in Atlanta, I have yet to see a black man walking down the street in a dress, but you got Medea everywhere. Not just like Tyler, but that, that's, that's, more of an anomaly that's not the normative grasp of who we are and until you understand the greatness of that normalcy of what most black people look like you can't move that issue forward you can't put that out as our face we'll continue to see how many times you got to go to the club how many times you got to drop it like it's hot how many bottles of crystal can you pop i've heard that and i teach at a high school and you get these young black boys who come through the path and they're they think that's normal. Like I've, I've got to go hard. I've got to, you know, I've got to know what the latest gun is. All of that foolishness because of the imagery that's been pushed on them their entire lives. So the, the data point that kind of came out through that research, through film, because I knew that's how they're getting programmed. That's how I need to get my message out. I just took my music video background and turned it into a filmmaker. That's the nut, nuts and bolts of it. So. Very cool. <clears throat> Very cool. I like the idea of reaching young people where they're at. Because yeah. you know that they're watching music videos on some level or watching any sort of film. And so it's good to be able to meet them where they are and to be able to subconsciously educate them right. through your film. And right. so which brings me to your documentary, Dear Daddy, which is truly a heartbreaking yet powerful film that causes viewers to really think about how fatherlessness affects generations of black women and girls. So what influenced you to make this particular film and why is this issue important? 
of most importance to our community because I remember you mentioned that most research is spent on black boys instead of black girls. It was, it, it was. and then again, because I'm data driven, uh, that thing just jumped out and it was so huge. It was like 69% of black girls were growing up without their, their biological fathers. And, and I was, it didn't look right when I first saw it. You, you, par you parse through it and it's there and it, it's this thing. And a, a black man said this to me when I first started the path of fatherlessness. He said, before you go out there and become this kind of trumpet that's already in an orchestra that's already against black men, you need to understand this. Most black men outside of, I think he said neglect, abuse, and abandonment, most blend black men don't walk away. They're pushed away. And it, it just, it, it, it hit me hard because at the time I was going through struggles with my own daughter and my ex-wife. And, and I had to come to grips with the fact that my daughter is actually fatherless. Even though, you know, every other weekend is not daddy. Summers going to Disneyland is, is not daddy in the house. I have two younger daughters with me now and one is 10 and she's, she walks around and, and I'll yell. I don't know if this is a problem. Like, if you don't get them booty shorts up out of here, you know, th th it's a it's a constant thing that a daddy does. It's just complimentary and different than what mothers do. And when you look at some of the you know less than desirable outcomes for for black women, um, even when it comes to not just the data but you know, self esteem and identity and and worth and value, you got to have both. You can't just be getting a a hyper feminine message, and you can't just get a hyper message. It's the complementary of the two that kind of gives this well rounded um, individual an opportunity to excel. I like that you mentioned that there's more than you hinted at, there's more than one way to be fatherless. And oh, so, yeah. and I really like that as we unravel the layers of how fatherlessness affects the mm -hmm. sister's self esteem, like you mentioned, that can play out whether it be anger, shame resentment amongst other things. So before we continue our discussion here, let's go to a clip, a quick clip from your film and then we'll be right back. My name is Jasmine, I'm 18 years old and I grew up without my father. Dear I I hate the simple fact that you left my mom when I was little and she struggled from then on trying to feed me and put clothes on my back and been able to figure out how I'm gonna go to school. I hate the simple fact the only time you come around is when you need something and you don't even call to give me a hug or come around to even see me or to come pick me up. I hate the simple fact that you left me and I had no one to talk to when I couldn't go to my mother. I hate the simple fact that you wasn't there when I had my first heartbreak and It hurts me when I have, I don't have a father to go to when I have a problem. It even hurts me that my mother have to play both parts, my mother and my father. I count on her more than I can count on you. I hate the simple fact you took the easy way out. You don't even stop by and just ask her if she needed help or to give her money for me or even check to see if I'm still alive.
somebody there for me. Are you not there? My mother is there. <laughs> so that was such a powerful clip of Jasmine and hearing her story. I know for me, I was trying so hard not to cry. I wanted to reach to the screen and hug her. And so how were you even able to get these young ladies and their parents to become so comfortable with discussing such a sensitive topic like this? It's a great question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I guess, a peculiar asset I have. People tell me stuff and I, it's just funny. Like, uh, I'd never met her before. We were, I was at a, a community center and uh, to, to preface it, you can find fathers, daughters everywhere. They're, they're just, they're everywhere. Um, we set up the cameras and um, I had a, a letter writing session. And during that session, she was just falling apart. And I, you know, I don't want, as a filmmaker, you want to catch that. So it's new and fresh for the camera, but I couldn't help it. I'm like, you know, what's happening? And she just begins to tell this thing. I said, all right, we're going to put you on camera. And she just opened up in that same session, probably 10 young girls, same, and it's different looks but it's the same kind of story of absentee father and I, I have to say this because I, I do this when we talk about your dad I'm older now and I can see where I made my mistake with Jasmine I, I learned this after the fact and it was one of the most painful things in this journey as a filmmaker um, the guy that she's talking about RL is not her biological father wow how how are you, how did you learn that? I met him. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna laugh. That's my coping mechanism. Maladaptive, but that's my coping. Um, and um, when I hear her now, knowing that that language that she's espousing is the things that were sown into her by her mother. You don't come by and check on me. You don't give my mother any help. You know, you hear a lot of mama in there, and that's what's been sown into her. So all of this hurt and trauma is misdirected. There's a biological father out there who I never was able to find. And there's a conversation that needs to be happening with mama, like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? And so dear daddy is just, you know, you, I tiptoe around that thing because it's just a, it's a very, to answer your question, it's very sensitive. I think women, because men, girls and women have, they compartmentalize it. They put it in this little thing. They don't talk. You could have, you could grow up without your father and your best friend, the same thing. Y'all never talked about it. Y'all don't, y'all don't discuss it. You don't try to navigate it. You don't go to therapy about it. It's you, you go to therapy about abuse, but you won't talk about daddy. Being bad. And so when I come in as a first time, I'm like, let's talk about that. They are just willing to let it, just let it pour out. Because you can tell, you can it's, tell. It's a healing space for them as well. So. You can tell the floodgates open when we when you start that conversation. And that kind of blew my mind that you just mentioned that, that all of that was misdirected. And that and the person that you contacted that she yeah. thought was her father wasn't even her father. And that that really it offered the DNA case today. I, and I was like, really? he's like, yeah, she's been doing it for years. She's like, I'm the easy guy because I, I, you know, I'm around. I, and I might have been one of her sisters was his. It was something. But that's not his biological daughter. Wow. So on that note, was there anything else that you learned through making this film that you didn't know before? And how did that shape your perspective on that? I, I addressed this early on. Like I said, I am the father of a fatherless daughter. And um, 
not not to lay blame. She we we go we went to therapy, and she said to me, "Why didn't you fight harder to get me?" And I told her, "You're asking the wrong question. You you need to ask your mother. Why did he have to even fight at all? This should be a collab. This should be everybody coming together." And she did everything to keep me away or maintain control of our daughter. Um, a, a sad, funny story. I was speaking at a mega church in um, D.C., and that's where they go. It's, it's my ex-wife's church, and she's an usher. I'm on the on the podium, and they come in, and she sees that I'm there, and she turns around and takes her out the door. That's what I was dealing with. So to understand it and navigate it as a father of a fatherless daughter was one of the biggest lessons for me and how that trying to apply what I learned into my personal life um, was the biggest learning point of uh, Dear Dad. I think that's an awesome perspective that you were able to look inside and say, you know, things are, are, are still are not what they seem even for my own daughter. And so that's, that's, that takes yeah, a, a fracture. To this day, I have a 23 year old daughter who up until last year believed that I never paid child support. I didn't tell her that. <laughs> yeah, wow. mommy got four hundred pairs of shoes. You know, she wants to talk to me about generational wealth. I and you left me. I'm like, I left you over a hundred thousand dollars. But it's that, crazy. That, yeah, and I, I, what I'm saying that for is there's facets of that story all out there. As I preface it, most black men do not walk away; they are pushed away. And what do you say to young women who are in your daughter's predicament, who they may have misdirected resentment or anger, whatever you want to call it, towards mm -hmm. their dad, and, and they don't really know the whole situation of behind why things are the way they are? Therapy. Lots and lots. It, it may seem like an oversimplification, but what I found through therapy, you're able to get another set of eyes you don't need my eyes you don't need your mama eyes. you need another objective person to try to bring levity to what i believe is a miss or a skewed perception of what the reality is was there any other young ladies in the film that stood out to you the most other than jasmine yeah it, it was amazing i cannot remember her name oh man she was a blast oh and as a father i've got four daughters so as a father of daughters, the um, I, I told her, I was like, you stink like your daddy when she first said, and that, that's a compliment. Like she, she, you could just, when she sat in that chair, the confidence, like my daddy's my best friend. We, you know, we go shooting guns together. I'm like, not in the street, but you know, like out on the right. She was just, was just a real, real testament to, and she grew up with both her parents, but testament of like, like a daddy's girl. She was just there. She was pressed. She was confident. Um, even when she had her baby, I remember she got pregnant and she wasn't married. No, daddy wanted that. But she's like, it's whatever. We got this. You know, and you knew when she said it, she believed it. Like she, you knew that she was going to, and she's okay. I can't remember her name. God, it's going to drive me crazy. I, I then back to my own daughter when she got, my 23 year old, when she got pregnant, we're going to be okay. I was like, ah. I'm here for you. And, you know, it's just it, it's just a thing. Like I said, when you've got the balance of the two working for you, 
you know, you, you got daddy in one ear, mom in another. It just gives you a, a, a balance and a level, I believe. Uh, there are, I don't want to say exceptions. There are people who are able to do it. Um, they can, like with me and my own father, I had to do like like a reverse validation. It's, I have another dear friend, we're the same way. It was like, before we make a decision with our children, we ask ourselves, what would our fathers do? And then do the exact opposite. Yeah, that is like the, the reverse, I forget what they call it. But um, for the most part, there's just a, a, a holistic balancing factor when you have that voice. You have it in your ear. When you make decisions, you you, you hear me. You hear you hear. Regardless, of, it could be rough, it could be smooth, it could be whatever it is. But you got that that thing, and if it's missing, you're just seeing one side of the equation. This is very interesting, isn't it? I think I know exactly who you're talking about in that film. Who you can tell that she really believed what yeah, she. Yeah, was. she was, this film was probably what ten years old. It's, it's, it's been a while, so but yeah, she sat up there and like whatever, my daddy, my man. Yeah, and I, and I was also impressed with the young lady who also mentioned that she can tell when other girls do or don't have their fathers in their lives. Can I be honest with you? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you trying to now start like the, the switch went off a couple of minutes. I'm trying to see it feels like a dad. I, I, I could tell. I can't tell because when you're in person, the way you walk, the way you move, the way you, you know, you're doing your your um, hosting voice. right now. So it's hard to read through that. But when you you can meet them, you, you, you can meet them and discern them real, real quick. I think the girl you're talking about is promise. Yeah, I, I can tell you. Can just, I'm like, what? and then I start to, you know, I'm paired her. I can understand what she's I like, I've never looked at it like that. And here's the sad and tra travesty of my personal life. Um, I, she promised, forced me to look at my own dating history. And in the women that I've dated, there's only been two where I met their father and I called them Mr. One was Mr. Thompson, Mr. Howard. A whole bunch of them, I never even met their daddies. And then some of them you meet, it's like, What's up, Frank? It's that, it's that. And she, again, she was that kind of pivot in that. This is another lesson for me. Like, wow, are you telling me that part of the dysfunction of my dating life was I was chasing fatherless daughters and didn't even really, you know, is are they more vulnerable? Was I a predator? What, what is, but that was just the cog. Is That was the, the thing that pulled it together. You know, that I'm talking 90th percentile of them. There's no father or any of that, any of that thing. That's that's an aha moment, like Oprah said, realizing that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. And and I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that because when you met the two fathers of of women that you dated in the past, did that change how you treated them based on the fact that no, you knew that they, they had were already together? Okay, I went to the problem. And <laughs> <laughs> she just had, but it was always like from the same neighborhood. She just carried herself different. She, you know, she went to the private school. She was, she became a lawyer. She was just, just, yeah, she was a very, very powerful black woman. And it, she didn't have to have her daddy. Her daddy was in her hip pocket. He didn't even have to be there. When I, you know, I, I knew Mr. Thompson when I was growing up. But you know, still, and he was, I think, really cool with me dating his daughter. Even though I was up to a bunch of no good, he still. He still he, he was okay with it. I, I was still close. She just passed last year and, uh, with the COVID. But, uh, and, uh, well, I'm still close with that. Man. Mm -hmm. but, That's good. I, I, the point is, he was right here. He was right in the hip pocket, even though he wasn't, you know, wherever we were. 
you have to say it twice. You're right. You can definitely tell. And one and one young lady I know I related to a lot personally since she mentioned me. I I it, I can't remember her name, but she mentioned that her dad was in her life, but wasn't. It was like he was there, but he wasn't there. Yeah, like, like he was either working all the time or he was, you know, busy doing other stuff. Like yeah. Yeah, and I felt her pain because even though she did not have a necessarily physically absent father you could still feel emotionally that she felt like emotionally he wasn't there. Yeah, he, he was missing something. And I, and I relate to that a lot. So mm -hmm. my personal, like, I, I'm all over my daughters. I got a six-year-old and a um, 10-year-old. We're them all the time. That we, we are together. We laugh together. We play together. We have state fairies. And we just always together. And Fortunately, in my career right now, if they would have known me 20 years ago when I was working in healthcare, I would have been that dude you're talking about, working all the time, chasing dollars, all of that stuff. And so there's a difference between a father who is present and a father who is active. You understand? Like some fathers believe that my presence is present enough to get enough for you. And, and that's, I, I hate to generalize, but it's, it's to me, from my personal perspective, Daddy just does something for, especially for girls. He, he gives you something that it makes your chin a, a little higher, makes your back a little straighter. It makes your, your confidence a little, it just, and I hate to do that because I know there's, there's another group of advocates that hate me when I say that, but it's just my, what I feel about it. And it, you can see it, it's just, it's a presence when, when you have that active, engaged, validating and loving on and, and just surrounding them. Not provision and just provision and protection. He is nurturing and helping you to 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 become or reach your potential. And and I like that you said that some people kind of throw tomatoes at you when you say things oh, like yeah. that because yeah, more fathers family. matter. Yeah. Are you, are you saying that daddy's more important? I never said that. You know, I didn't say that. I always I'm very diplomatic. I say it's both. The best outcome for me is two healthy functioning. Feminine and masculine identities, whatever the gender, I don't even care. But you gotta kind of have both. You know what I mean? But my my kids get mad because I'm grumpy half the time. You know what I mean? That's what my grandfather was grumpy. My daddy was grumpy. We're all we're all grumpy. You know what I mean? Because we don't want you to make mistakes. <laughs> so that's that's great that you mentioned that you mentioned that that fathers matter, and sometimes yeah. people may not think they matter as much as as mothers do, but they matter just as much as is is equal, and mm -hmm. so. Uh, I really do uh, appreciate that awesome perspective. And so uh, we're going to go to a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to be joined by two experts, Dr. Sabrina Black and Aisha Cunningham. These sisters have been dedicated themselves and their lives to serving our sisters as counselors. And with that, we will be right back here on Sisters and Be More Radio. When Sean Williams moved to this mostly white area of Long Island, he says his neighbors would often compliment him for spending time with his own kids. And why does that bother you? You know, the stereotype is just not true. To get a compliment um, about sticking around for your child or being an active dad is just insane. Good job, Cam. Black fathers are more than just present. According to the CDC, black fathers who live with their kids bathe, dress, or diaper their children every day at higher rates than other groups. Now, this is my first time. So Williams is showcasing this reality with his organization called the Dad Gang. 
with the goal of bringing black fathers together, like this stroller squad sharing tips and advice. Here we go. With a huge social media following, Williams also promotes heartwarming moments of fatherhood, from dancing to reunions and graduations. I hope it sticks in the minds of those who thought we were MIA. You got to get it faster. That despite what the world says, despite the stereotypes that are out there, we are dad goals. Jumping into a modern image of black fatherhood. Errol Barnett, CBS News, Long Island, New York. All right, welcome back to Sisters here at Be More Radio, where the conversation continues with our guest filmmaker, Jenks Morton, on the effects of his film, Dear Daddy, and how it affects our sisters. And I also want to add to this discussion uh, some, some sisters who... Uh, can probably tell you firsthand through their expertise uh, about dealing with sisters who deal with fatherlessness. And so I want to bring in our guests, Dr. Sabrina Black and Aisha Cunningham. It is nice to have you ladies back here with us. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful and glad to be back and, and so thankful for this film project. This documentary was incredible. Thank you, sir. How are you, Aisha? I'm good. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I am good. I'm happy to be here, too. Thank you so much for inviting me again. Of course, we definitely need a doctor and a counselor on call to help us mentally sort out these things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, it's great to be able to have you guys here again with us. And I want to start with Dr. Sabrina and Aisha. About, can you uh, you can comment to Aisha as well. What experience in your line of work have you had clients speaking on the pain of growing up in a, as a father's daughter? And how has that affected them now as an adult? You know, that is a constant struggle among women that I find people continually come in for counsel with that. And initially they don't present it as I'm the daughter of, of an absentee father or I'm a fatherless daughter. What they present are issues of insecurity, issues of trust and relationship. They present issues of self-esteem and worthlessness. And then as they continue the dialogue, they eventually reveal that my father was absent from my life. And they can see the impact of that over time. And when I think about how long I've been dealing with this, it's been forever, for as long as I've been in practice over the past 30 years. You know, I've even worked on several projects in the past dealing with the issue of healing the wounds of absentee fathers or dealing with the issues of daddy love and wanting to have the love of a father in your life. And so it's an ongoing struggle and something that I anticipate is going to be around for a while. But, you know, bigger than just this issue of the absentee father is what do women do with that and, and how do they heal from that? And I know we're going to get to that, but it's an ongoing issue. Definitely. Aisha, any, any thoughts on that? Um, something that I, I see as well, just to piggyback, is definitely abandonment, feelings of abandonment and insecurity, as well as just how they view themselves, um, because they just never had that experience. And so it shows up in the relationships that they may entertain or friendships that someone may entertain um, due to the lack of what they felt like they needed. Um, growing up. So it definitely shows up just in how they view themselves or how someone would view themselves um, and that, that self-esteem. 
Do you think, and this is for anyone to answer, do you think that there's ever an age or a stage where ladies don't no longer need their fathers? Because I hear, I heard that a lot throughout the film that sometimes some of the young ladies kind of internalize that as, well, he wasn't around this far, so I don't need him anyway. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's more of a defense than anything else. I mean, it, it's almost like um, sour grapes, my Aesop's fable. Well, I can't get that grape anyway. It must be sour. And that's kind of how we feel about absentee fathers. We want them. We need them. We desire them. And there's a void when a father is not in your life. And so when a woman says, I don't need him or I don't need a man or I don't want him, it's more of a defense mechanism than anything else. It's what the lie she has to tell herself in order to live with her reality. Yeah, it's just cognitive dissonance. They do this thing where, and it's like a test. You can ask them like, well, I grew up without him and I turned out okay. And I'm like, you have permission today to say I'm not okay. Let's yeah. start there because what you're doing is maladaptive. It's it's a deflection, all the classic deflection, denial, all of the classic Ds. And we want to get to the point where, you know, we're not going to embrace it today, but at least acknowledge it. So you have my permission to say, I'm not okay. Huh. And that, that's something, especially amongst us, you know, I hate to do that, but we don't, and with men, we don't give nobody no permission to be like, what's up, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. And the world is falling apart behind them. And daddy's just uh -huh. equation in that. So I'm, I'm in a complete agreement. It, it's like I said, all the classic D's, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> so throw them all out there. You know, you say I, I'm good, and in, in Christian circles, people say, "Well, I'm blessed of the Lord, and I'm highly favored." Blessed, highly favored, <laughs> and that's the reality. Like, we don't want to minimize that. That's the reality, but that's also a position in Christ. Yep. That's not the state of my relationships that's with my exactly father right. or with other men. Right, and, right. and so, yes, you are blessed. Yeah. You're still fatherless in terms of a human father. You know, and even if you're talking about that, sometimes the impact of absentee fathers impacts us not only emotionally and psychologically, but it impacts us spiritually. Oh, because yeah. people so often equate our fathers with our heavenly father. And you got to know your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. Right. Your right. heavenly father will never leave you or forsake you. He will never abandon you. Right. This right. is the father who has loved you with an everlasting love and continues to draw you mm -hmm. with loving kindness. And so mm -hmm. even if you're natural natural father is not looking for you or you can't find him. Women do need to know that there is a heavenly father who desires their company and their presence. I would like to dovetail on that too. I'm glad you brought the faith part of this back into the equation because again, my perspective, I'm not clinical. I don't have that background, but from what I see, if you have rejected your earthly father, you have a very difficult time seeing our heavenly father for who he really is. You have, um, I'm doing it's like blinders. You have a, a noise in front of it because to get to here, you you have to kind of begin to forgive, purge resentment, uh, find healing. You have to find a kind of wholeness before you can see this in its entirety. And this anger and bitterness, um, deflection, denial, dismissal, all of these things are getting in your way from seeing this in its wholeness, if that makes sense to you guys. Mm -hmm. Aisha, I know you probably have seen that too as a fellow counselor. Mm -hmm. um, actually, a friend of mine, um, we just did a, a podcast and um, God came up in terms of father characteristics. And she actually mentioned like, well, how, 
you know, is someone supposed to get to know God in that light if they never had an, an earthly relationship with their father? And so one thing that I suggested, because this is something that that I've done just in other areas of my life, is I'll go through and I might start with Psalms or Proverbs or something like that. And I'll write down all of God's characteristics that I see, because a lot of times we don't know his character. Uh-huh. And so it's hard for us to make that connection in terms of who is he and how can I view him? And so to kind of bridge that gap in terms of how can I view God as a father if I have a rocky relationship with my earthly one? And it's just to know his character and to write those things down that you see and meditate on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I would I would suggest, whether you have, you know, a, a good relationship with your earthly father or not, knowing who God is for himself. Yeah. You know, when you, when you talk about character, it's, it's so important because we often look not only for the characteristics of God and then our natural father, but those are the characteristics that a lot of women should be looking for in men. Because mm-hmm. when you have an absentee father, sometimes those basic needs are the needs that never got met. The needs for acceptance, for appreciation, mm-hmm. the need for attention, the need for applause. You know, those are basic needs that everybody has. And so what happens is that women start looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, mm-hmm. that may sound cliche, but it's a reality because that need has not been met. And so when there's any type of abandonment or either abuse, because when a a person has been abused, that's like being abandoned since I I feel rejected, that we start to look to fill these needs in unhealthy ways. And so there, the reality of the importance of a father cannot be underestimated. Men need to be Where were y'all at 10 years ago? I'm mad. I'm struggling out here fighting. (laughs) I I wish we had to connect because I've been doing this work for a long time, but we're here now. It's like everything has a season. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was, I guess, a little premature. What'd you say? Throw tomatoes at? Oh, man. It was was, (laughs) brutal out here. And it was probably part of me because of how I deliver. I'm daddy. I'm, I can be callous. I can be rough. You know, it's 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 a, a tough love, I guess. But mm. it's still love. And if you aren't used to hearing that voice, I can come off as I've been called a few things. In my day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you, sisters. That's what I'm saying. Thank you because you're. you're you gave me an add-on from the you know the list of deeds now acknowledgement acceptance. Of, now I got the list of eggs. Let's go. Mm-hmm. But you know, women and, and daughters need discipline. They need direction. And that's what fathers provide. And so it may seem harsh, but they're hungry for that. Yeah. And, and so you're talking about ending up with rough dudes. You end mm-hmm. up with a rough dude or a hard neck because you want somebody who can speak into your life. And he's just speaking the wrong stuff because that's you right. didn't have that father who spoke it in love. Your film was so powerful. I, I watched it several times. Yeah. And I'm telling you, my, my heart bled for those young women. I just thought that the work that was being done just gave them an open platform to be able to dialogue about the pain they've been experiencing. And and so many women need a place that's a safe place. You know, you mentioned this issue of therapy earlier. And I think part of what you did was provide an entrance into therapy. You gave the permission to feel the pain and to process the pain. And therapy is where that happens. Therapy is where you get a chance to come in and talk about the fact that I don't like it. I'm not happy about it. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. And now what do I do? You know, so we're not saying deny it or pretend like it was okay because it was not okay that he wasn't in your life. But what do you do? Because you can't go back and relive the past, but you can change your future. Mm -hmm. 
I cried several times during that. that film. Oh man, they put girls put me. It was bad. You know, you're supposed to be the professional and do the filming. Man, them women, those they they were young girls too. I mean, like mm. 18, 20, 24, and they were just they, just falling out all over. Oh, one room, they just started. Huh. They didn't film. They, they just started dropping. Oh, and here's the I'm, I'm caught. I rambled. I, I make I make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. I made this mistake as a filmmaker. I, you have these things they're called. Um, screenings where you test the film out on an audience to see how it works. I took that film to Howard University to Delta Sigma Theta to a room full of 300 girls and it was like going to a Southern Baptist revival. I thought because of the social economic strata I was dealing in, the fatherless thing would be removed. It would, they were falling out. You like the women with the white gloves in church? They were falling out like that. They were just, oh, it was awful. It was so, so bad. And we had clinicians there. We had women, uh, uh, pastors, uh, ministers. We had all kinds of support. It wasn't enough. I sat there for three hours at the screen. Mm. And they wanted to talk to me. You know what I mean? Because you talk about giving them permission. It was like nobody had ever given mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. a chance to unpack this mess. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, with, with all of the knowledge being dropped here, I just want to say, let the church say amen. And I like that you mentioned, Dr. Uh, Dr. Sabrina, about if I, I personally would rather your daddy be your daddy than your man be your daddy, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. You can't be your daddy. What? Right. Yeah, right, right. Your, and, your man may need a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and speaking of looking for love in all the wrong places and how all of that leads to all of those feelings, I want to go to a brief clip from a friend to the show and also my sister-in-law, Jessica McCarter, about her experience as a fatherless daughter. Even yeah. now, as a married woman with kids, yeah. she still has to overcome the emotional baggage that comes along with mm. looking and finding her father. So let's take a look at that clip and we'll be right back what what it was like growing up without my father was a lot of feelings of inadequacy being the only one of seven children not knowing who my father was you know it it raised a lot of questions um was it me was it you know was there something that i had done wrong why didn't I deserve to have my father around? Um, I looked for love in any area that I could find it um, from anyone. And so I looked for validation. I, I was looking for the things that I needed from my father and it was a void that was there uh, but I was, I guess, introduced to God at an early age. And I remember, you know, the scripture, you know, like, even when your father and mother forsakes you, you know, I will take you up and give you rest. And I, I depended on that. Um, and so, and then I had my grandfather, uh, Robert Alexander, he was a good example of what a father was, um, but I didn't see him that often. And we didn't really have that close of a relationship, um, but I loved him like he was my dad. And so I still had that void. It was hard. It was lonely. 
you know, I did not, I, I, I was incomplete. I felt incomplete. I did not know where I came from, who I came from. So. Very true and very relatable in so many levels. I, I honestly, this is really good that you all had the, we all had this conversation leading up to this clip because she covered everything that we kind of talked about so far. And it's very interesting uh, about the clip with Jessica because uh, as my sister-in-law, I got to learn a little bit more about her background and she went a long time over 30 years without uh, knowing who her real father was and through uh, ancestry and, and and healing and going to therapy, she was able to get in contact with her father uh, before he unfortunately passed away this past February. Mm. And so that, it, it meant a lot to her. And so uh, I really like that she mentioned about going through, looking through love for all the wrong places and kind of the self-imposed shame of blaming herself for her father's absence. And so if anyone wants to answer this, how does an absent father affect a girl's self-esteem on how she values herself and how she allows other people to treat her in future relationships? I'm trying to stay out of trouble, but she summed it up. She said, I was incomplete. I've never heard it put so succinctly. That is exactly what it is. You know, we're talking about masculine feminine you know just everything on both but you're incomplete and that's a hard pill to swallow to say i am not whole that that, that was uh was prophetic mm -hmm. you know it's interesting you, you you mentioned then incomplete and you know i i, I hate to disagree but i gotta disagree because i, I believe that we are whole and, and and maybe there's some parts that are fractured and, and so there's this sense of feeling incomplete because of this void that's in our life, but that void doesn't necessarily make you incomplete. And, and so I think for women, women have to come to a place where they realize that, that they were destined to be here. And so they were not a mistake. They have not been rejected. God has a plan for their lives and, and whatever fragmented pieces they feel like they might be in, the plan is still the same. And, and so whether you were abandoned or abused, God's plan for your life still hasn't changed. And so I think when we walk around feeling incomplete, then we're looking for this man to complete us. And, and so I really believe that you need to have two whole people making a relationship, not I'm, I'm going to bring my half and you're going to bring your half. And so I, I can't be incomplete in that way. I can be fractured. I can be wounded. I can have a sense of, but not a reality of. And, and so I just want to be careful with terminology. Yeah, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I, we're in agreement. Okay. It's the word. <laughs> it's the word. The word just hit me hard. Yep. And it relates back to the story that we tell ourselves, right? Right. Uh, about we tell ourselves that we're broken. We tell ourselves that we're incomplete. And so uh, any thoughts of Aisha on, on that notion? Yeah. Um, I think just coming from someone who has, I have a, I'm a daddy's girl. I have a great relationship with my my father and all of the things that he told me in terms of who I am and, and being worthy and valued and the prize and all of these things. So there was a great balance between mommy and daddy. And when you don't grow up hearing those things, as well as maybe noticing how other people are growing up or noticing that, dang, something is missing, on top of just being relational beings, both parts are so important between being a mother and a father and having a father. Um, and so when you when you don't have that, 
innately you start to feel like you're lacking something. And then if I feel like I'm lacking something and I'm constantly rehearsing, you know, voices like that and, and, and sayings like that, then eventually I'm going to feel like I'm not enough. And so when you really don't have this balance, then you can just internalize it as something's missing, something's wrong, something mm -hmm. must be wrong with me. And then it can just go down a rabbit hole like that. Yeah, you're tapping into it, Aisha. You're right. That, we keep rehearsing the bad messages. Yeah. And so part of what happens in therapy and in counseling is that you get a chance to put on the table one of those bad messages that you've been rehearsing. And then you get a chance to get some new tapes. You get a chance to hear the truth and not just what you've lived with as your reality, but what is the truth for real? And, and so those tapes may need to be changed out. That's that process of renewing your mind. And our mind needs to be renewed constantly because we get mad, bad messages not only from internal things that we've told ourselves, but also from the world. I mean, because people will tell you that you're not enough or you're insufficient or you're incomplete. And we'll believe that. And so we have to stop believing the lie and, and embrace what the truth is. And the truth may be that I am a fatherless daughter, or the truth may be what you said, Aisha, and what my truth is, that we daddy's girls. And so we grew up with the right messages, but how do we help our sisters? who didn't receive those messages because we understand how important a daddy's love is. And so for women who did not have that, how do we help them process that pain and move to a place of being productive with their lives and not feeling like they can't because of whatever they feel they're missing. But the reality is they can do so many things and we need to help them figure out what they can do. It's very interesting that you mentioned that. I And I, I'm going to throw out a hot take that a lot of people in our community may feel one way or the other about. But how do you all feel about the notion in our community about this thought process that a mom can play both roles as mom and dad? And this is this a healthy thought process for right. our people right. to have? Maladaptive coping mechanism, no. Bye. Next question. <laughs> it's not healthy for the daughters, the sons, or for the mother, or for the father, because if a mother feels like she can do it all, then she negates the importance of the father. And if a mother feels like she can do it all, she's probably wearing herself out trying to be both. And you can only be the mother. Now, what you can do is try to help find some father substitutes. You can try to find some male role models, some mentoring programs, some men in the church, some, some uncles, some brothers, some grandparents. You can find some people, but a woman cannot be the role of a man. You cannot be the mother and the father. So I would encourage any woman who's been trying to do that, stop. Be the best mother you can be and let that child know the importance of male role models and try to find some. Can I add on? I can't be no mama. It's just not, I don't want it. You know, y'all do stuff that's way better and different than I can ever even imagine. That's your space. Have it. Run with it. Make the best out of it what you are. And then we come together and, you know, it's it's just, I, I don't even know how that even, like uh, Mother's Day is coming up and no, it's Father's Day. Is it Father's Day when they get them? Mother's Day and Father's Day are both but coming up. But it's Father's Day when the kids kind of give the mother a Father's Day card. That's, 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 that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the craziest thing I ever <laughs> seen on Father's Day. Mother's Day, everybody get all the mothers get the card. But then on Father's Day, I'm like, mothers still get cards? Like, <laughs> is this what we're doing now? And so, and, and I'm wondering, how does this, how is this trauma promoted by the generational curses that come mm -hmm. along with that? You know, I'm so glad this is not a Father's Day show. 
<laughs> this is an everyday show. That's right. This is a show that is needed every day of the week, not for Mother's Day or for Father's Day. And I pray that as people are watching this show and as they hear this message, that they will realize that you can do something different today. You don't have to wait to Mother's Day and Father's Day to decide to walk in the role that you have been God-given. And so if you have been absentee, show up. You know, and, and don't worry about, well, what is she going to say? What is she going to think? How am I going to explain myself? Because sometimes there are no words that make it right. Sometimes just simply being present. Just show up, extend a hug, give a kiss, to try to talk, try to listen, you know, and, and hear what she's been missing and then try to be available. You know, if you've got a history of being inconsistent, start by trying to be more consistent. But I think we can all make some changes starting right now. If you're listening to the show, watching the show, if you're hearing something that's perking you and, and piercing your heart, do something with this. Don't just wait to buy a card on the holiday. Live different. And one thing I noticed while watching the film, particularly about the young lady, Jasmine, whose clip we showed earlier, is that the film goes a level deeper when we talk about generational trauma. By we, It goes a layer deeper by speaking with her mother for more understanding about her background. So let's take a quick look at that quip about what her mother had to say, and we'll be right back. I heard so much stories on that, I don't know what to believe it was. I felt abandoned. And I told him when I rekindled with him when we was on Ash Street, I told him I felt abandoned because I felt like there was more that he could have done to pursue being in my life. And if you really wanted to be a father to me the way he was saying that he wanted to be, then you would have found me instead of me finding you. You'd have been there for me. When we got back together, I more or less told him we can't pick up, you know, the past. The only thing we can do is start anew. And I was like 28 then. So it was more or less like, instead of being a father to me, just be a grandfather to your grandkids. It's so interesting how something can happen to a mother regarding a fatherless daughter and it creates a situation where her daughter is experiencing the same abandonment that she herself faced as a child without a father. Uh, Aisha, I'd love to hear from you. Can you speak about that generational impact of the mother that grew up without a father and how that cycle continues when the daughter goes through the same thing? Mm -hmm. um, I think about... Um just the things that we project that we don't necessarily know that that's what we're doing. It could be in our speech. It could be in how we show show up in, in relationships and what we're modeling is okay and what's not okay. Um, and sometimes we don't necessarily know the impact that we're having on our children through projecting those things by stating things like, I don't need a man, all men are this way. You know, you, you're independent, you can grow up and do X, Y, and Z, you don't need any help. So all of these things are kind of like internalized as a child. So I may grow up thinking, I don't need a man, what do I need a man for? I'm, I'm independent, I can do all these things on my own. And it totally tears down the, the, 
the purpose of, of relationships and how important both roles are. And then if I'm also seeing how mom is getting treated, but I don't want my heart broken or I don't want this. And all of these things come from relationships. So I don't want that. And so it could kind of continue to, to just become a cycle um, until someone says, you know what? Just because that's what my mother may have experienced, it doesn't mean that my relationship is going to be like that. It doesn't mean that I have to do things by myself. It doesn't mean that I don't need help because we both do. Both parts do do need help and that's okay to accept. But um, sometimes it's just through this projection and modeling. And so it just is a pattern. I like the way you put that. It, 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 I call it the I can do battle by myself syndrome. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what I'm curious to know, and anyone can answer this, what, what do you think that mothers can do to help their daughters who struggle with those abandonment issues from their father without speaking negatively about them, of course? You know, one of the things that I've witnessed is that, you know, we, we talk about the, the impact of absentee fathers and, and yes, there are not a lot of negative impacts, but there are also some, some strengths that women gain as a result of having to be resilient, of having to be resourceful, of, of having to have this determined spirit to, to make it happen anyway. And, and so I think that as girls are growing up without an absentee father is to realize that he may be absent for a lot of different reasons and you may not be the reason. And so I I think sometimes children internalize the absentee parent in terms of why they're gone. Think about it. Remember, we talked about it may be from divorce because the parents couldn't get along because of conflict. It may be because of incarceration. It may be because of war. He may be away in the military. So fathers may be away for any number of reasons. It's not all because he didn't want you. And usually it's not because he didn't want you, but that's the message we receive. So I think helping your daughter to understand more about why the father is not present, it, be, it can be a wonderful thing for women to do and to not badmouth the father, to help the daughter realize that your, your, your father loves you. But you know, I've seen so often that what happens is in the case of what James was talking about is that the daughter gets these messages, your father didn't care, your father didn't help support you, your father made us struggle, your father's somewhere taking care of that other woman and her kids. And so she grows up with this idea that she's rejected and it's not true. So I think speaking truth to your daughters and your sons and, and not having them carry your pain. And I see that so often. Mm -hmm. And I want to piggyback on that. Um, honesty um, is something that Unfortunately, we have a hard time being honest with ourselves. And so then it, it causes us to struggle with being honest with other people. And also just something that I've seen just within our community is just this lack of honesty within families. And a lot of things can be avoided if we were just honest about our experiences. Um, and, and when we're honest about our experiences, it allows our children then to say, hmm, okay, well, since I know this, this is how I can move forward or, or this is how, um, you know, I can begin to see myself if we were just be honest about our experiences. I like if I'm honest, it's going to hurt. But it's going to cause a lot of healing in the process and healing isn't fun. Majority of the healing process. It's a process. Um, it's a process and just taking it one day at a time, but honesty is something that we can practice. It doesn't mean yeah. we have to go whoop and, and all out at one time, but it's a process. I know it's a process. movie, but I'm going to say you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I'm, 
Like literally, I wrote a book about my childhood. My mm. father told me he would kill me if he saw me again. Mm. Gosh, which I haven't seen him in years because I I gave them my truth, and it was a traumatic childhood. Mm. And uh, we. Uh, we keep what do we even keep family secrets? What do they say? We do? Family secrets. What, what, what happens in this house stays in this house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, whatever we do. And uh, to your other point, Dr. Black, um, you were talking about the mothers being honest and forthcoming, and but they haven't healed themselves. Yeah. That that was that was the uh, believe it or not. Before I shot Dear Daddy, I shot another movie before that called We Need to Talk, where I interviewed. Like forty-year-old women who grew up without their fathers. Guess who didn't want to watch it? The twenty-year-old daughters, because they thought that their mothers hadn't hadn't dealt with their stuff. And I've heard it before. I grew up with that. I don't need that. That's where dear daddy came from. Yeah. So we're. I think we kind of were per- walking down generational curses or uh, sociological impacting and shaping environments that allow us to duplicate and replicate our parents. Um, say it. Say it. If we don't. If I'm not healed, yeah, I can try to work with you. I know that I'm working through my own garbage, but you've got someone who's replicating your behaviors based upon what you the do. Generational you trauma. You know what I mean? So how can they impart truth to you when they can't embrace their own truths? Mm-hmm. And that that was the biggest, especially in this work with Father. Don't get me wrong, I loved it, but it was some of the hardest stuff. I yeah. Just trying to even understand it because I'm a dude. That was, that was one of the trying to understand how do you navigate this delicately, but firmly. And you know, you need to sit down with Tanya's the mother. Like, how could you? I could never tell her, I don't know if y'all were on earlier, but Tanya was the mother of the girl who's crying. And I found out through the research that the, the man that she told the girl was her father was not the father. So how do you sit Tanya? you got to deal with a whole bunch of stuff before you're in a position where your daughter Jasmine isn't even going to listen to what you got to say. So that, I, I hear it, it sounds good on paper, it, it, it sounds great, but we got multiple generations of men and women uh-huh. who, who are hurting and have not reconciled with that trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I really love those perspectives and starting with honesty and, 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 and trying to do self-healing first. And as mm-hmm. we segue into healing and, and being hopeful in these situations, I, I really want to know, is reconciliation pos- a possibility in these situations? How can our sisters be able to quote uh, to cope and what resources can sisters be able to utilize in order to cope with those emotions that come along with not having a father present? Mm-hmm. I, I, the two things I learned, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to y'all and y'all can run with this thing. But, uh, reconciliation and forgiveness are not about the, the external. They're about you. The, you you have to understand, I, and she kind of talked about being whole and complete. That Those things are, are about you. And the, one of the hardest lessons that I learned through this is that, and I, I began to teach this too, had I not been joined to you by blood, would I desire a relationship? because family from my perspective is not necessarily about the blood I think the blood ties are kind of misconstrued and warped at times to think that we are anchored to people that we would not allow in our lives would you let your would you let do you want your children to spend time with this person you don't know and that those were hard things to try to I don't want to say push but try to advance that ideology that Forgiveness is not about that. That's about you. Reconciliation is about you. You got to deal 
with this stuff on your own before you're in a position to kind of help or assist or facilitate any of these external relationships you're seeking out? I definitely think that um, reconciliation is possible, but it depends on what you desire for yourself. And um, just as um, he just stated, forgiveness is not for the other person, but it's for you. And also recognizing once again that healing is a process and you have to show up to do that work. There are a lot of resources, whether you join a support group, you you find a good therapist and, and you work through that. Um, but even going to therapy and going to groups and reading books, journaling, whatever your outlet is going to be, that's a healthy outlet. You still have to show up and do that work that yeah. also goes along with the, the therapeutic process. Um, but really just figuring out what it is, what do I want? What do I need in this space and, and moving accordingly? Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. You should definitely show up and do the work. And I think it's key that we begin to say, what do we want? Because so often we say, well, I don't want this. I don't want this. But what do you want? And it's part of that healing process. You know, I know we're talking about healing and having hope, but you have to grieve too. You have to grieve the woulda, coulda, shouldas. You have to grieve the fact that things should have been different, could have been different, would have been different. They weren't. And so how do I now move past my grief? And as we talk about that grief process, that grief cycle, we do get to a place of acceptance, accepting that this was my reality. What does that mean for me? How has that been impacting my relationships? And what do I want to see difference? So what do I want? What do I want in a healthy relationship? And what does that look like? That forgiveness that we speak of, that forgiveness is for you. Not necessarily just for the other person, because they may not really be sorry. They may not come and ask for forgiveness. They may not try to explain themselves. But you have to decide that you are going to let it go. You don't forget about it. You remember what happened. But you choose to not carry the pain of it anymore. So I forgive you so that we can reconcile. And when we talk about reconciliation, reconciliation does not always happen. But sometimes what happens is that I accept the fact that you are who you are and I am who I am and we're going to love each other from afar. And sometimes that's the best as it gets. Mm-hmm. And, and on that note, I this has been a very, very amazing conversation. But on that note, we want to, first of all, thank you, James, for sharing this awesome film and, and even thinking to even go this route. And Dear Daddy can be viewed for anyone on Amazon Prime, which is definitely worth the watch and learning from. So, and also special thanks to you, Dr. Sabrina and Aisha for your expertise and words of wisdom as always. The doors of the Sisters Church are always open to you all. <laughs> With that, we want to thank you queens out there who have been listening and keeping it locked in here with us right here at Be More Radio. Thank you for joining us today. She wears a nappy cause it makes her happy She's too cool for smooth Kings and cores are too free-spirited To be restrained by herbs and oils These queens who doing it as a natural crown of truth Wigs worn in all sorts of twists and shades A labor of love for the root Expressed by the child of Africa soil It's worth the toil Willie curls aim for the sheepish So pick a stance If you dare to take a glance Her thoughts will ascend you Trust me Give her a chance A pair of shears for a shiver locks A twist to unwind the combination to the safe Where the keys to her heart are best kept A lullaby for the restless nights Where a can turn afraid to summon a voice which quiesce